Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. In this episode, we will be discussing platform ecosystem thinking and how organizations navigate this different landscape. I am delighted to welcome Simona Cicero, CEO of Boundaryless and creator of Platform Design Toolkit. Simone, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Simone, you have been championing platform design and open business models and helping companies revolutionize the way they do business and also rethink how they transition to this more interconnected and I won't say boundaryless right. way of working. And you've also been featured in Thinkers 50 Radar 2020 for your work. This is such a topical an important area for businesses, but also for society. And you are constantly helping organizations to look at these emerging trends, but also looking at how to help practitioners. So that can be leaders, actors, organizations, how to help them navigate the challenges this landscape brings and to create a more human-centered culture where ecosystems of organizations, if you like, can thrive. So um, a quest we clearly share. As we know, ecosystems compete on their degree of openness and therefore they change the landscape. And also the landscape of practitioners and actors within the ecosystem changes. So it's unpredictable, it's uncertain, and unpredictability is more or less a, stru a structural aspect now of our economies and businesses right. and also of our human systems. So what are the key challenges you see in trying to make an organization, in inverted commas, platform ready? <laughs> Yeah, this is a very nuanced and, and very, I would say, complex question, as mm. you have uh, highlighted. And, and so that it's hard to say, even it's even hard to say what are the main challenges, because so many <laughs> challenges uh, yeah. there. No? And I would say that uh, there are three main aspects of, you know, transforming an organization in a way that is more platform and ecosystem ready. Definitely one is the literacy aspect. So one is the capabilities building aspect. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, helping uh, your people, the people in your organization to uh, understand what's going on. So really having this new language, having these new categories mm. to look into what they are doing, how markets are evolving. So mm. For example, understanding the basics of uh, network effects and aggregation mm -hmm. theory and the role of experiences, uh, uh, long tails. What does it mean to stop doing solutions and creating products and moving into enabling interactions? You know? So mm -hmm. instead of controlling your supply chains, looking at your providers as uh, niche players and potentially expressing uh, lots of value. So it's really mm. about understanding that the internet has changed the rules of the game. Now, that's the mm. first thing. The first thing is mm. understanding the impacts of the internet in how business works, uh, the role of aggregation, as I said, platforms, experiences, and so on. So mm -hmm. one thing is really starting to understand that uh, the shape of the organization uh, is no more the pipeline. We're talking about networks, organizations that become hubs, organizations that become uh, spaces for uh, scalable learning, scalable transactions, no more, you know, uh, the old industrial mm. uh, behemoths we are, mm. we are uh, used to. So that's one thing. The first thing is capabilities. And, and I, I'm not just saying you need to 
to give them uh, the possibility to understand what's going on, but also the methodologies that uh, that mm. you have been mentioning as well. So that this mm. part of uh, these elements of uh, design, a design practice for the connected world, uh, mm-hmm. which is what we're trying to do with Platform Design Toolkit, that helps them to have tools to co-design as teams to uh, strategize together and to visualize together what they're talking about without blaming each other about the wrong ideas, about uh, starting mm. to figure out you know, a common vision uh, mm-hmm. and uh, shortening the path to experimentation. I think this is a very important part. So that's one thing. The, the second part is uh, for sure that of uh, uh, looking at, in the, especially in the leadership team in an organization, the C-level, whatever, looking at your organization as a, as a system of elements that interact with each other and across which you can drive growth. So I'm talking about essentially understanding, for example, how many ecosystems, how many marketplaces your organization is facilitating, how many mm-hmm. developers are connected with your organization and can reach the basic products and services that you provide to these people in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. How many, I would say, elements of infrastructure you have, like APIs or technologies <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So you need to look at the portfolio, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, and that's another mm-hmm. thing. Are know. they used to visualizing that or is that something completely new for them? I mean, the situation, to be honest, it's tragic. You know, mm-hmm. most of our, uh, most of our, uh, the executives I'm, I'm dealing with and, uh, basically never, never did portfolio analysis on their company. And even worse, mm-hmm. sometimes you have departments of the same organization that fight over each other in terms mm-hmm. of uh, the, uh, you know, don't stepping, not stepping on their, their uh, someone else's feet. So that's yeah. that's the, the the point. I mean, uh, let me make an example. In a complex context like the one we are living, mm-hmm. you may have your organization wanting to, for example, take on a certain ecosystemic opportunity by facilitating interactions between mm-hmm. players in a certain industry. And imagine that to do that, you need to have a large I would say, shared technological base, like, for example, in terms of hardware. And imagine that there's another department in your organization that instead is producing proprietary hardware. And then suddenly you figure out that to really enlarge your user base, you need to uh, uh, you need to embrace an open source hardware strategy, for example, uh, mm. or software, whatever. And uh, suddenly, of course, you have two conflicting priorities in your organization. You have someone that wants to sell a hardware and someone else for which the hardware is a commodity because they see value in the service ecosystem you can develop mm. on top of a shared hardware. So that's a very clear example of uh, the need for the leadership of the organization to look at the portfolio of the organization mm. and saying, you know, consciously saying, we are going to commoditize hardware because we want to become, to, we want to move a higher levels of the value chain. We want to generate uh, an opportunity from facilitating interactions and services and so on. So this is something that entails mm. a portfolio perspective that only the leadership of the organization must take. And finally, you know, the last point is killing the game. It's yeah. the problem is that our organizations are essentially bureaucratic and hierarchical. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this doesn't work anymore. It's simply yeah. a matter of uh, the need to resonate 
with mm. systems. So mm. if your organization com- internal complexity is very low because you have a hierarchical functional organization and you face a market that where there is an uh, increasing complexity, mm. the difference of gradient uh, in complexity that you have from inside and outside is going to crash your organization. Mm. So basically, you're not going to cope with what's happening in the market if you have an organization that is heavily uh, siloed, vertical, mm. hierarchical. Mm. So w- what is the last step, essentially, to really become platform ready? Is to have an organization based on small units, supported internally by platforms in terms of technologies or services that essentially are there to reduce uh, the need for the small units, for the small teams to deal with uh, things that are not the core of the value that they are creating. So Mm. this is the kind of platforms that supports you with IT needs, for example, or legal or compliance or or logistics or whatever, Mm. or tech in general. And finally, not just having this structure, but really making a, a... you know, basically implementing incentive systems in the organization so that employees can really become more entrepreneurial. So they mm-hmm. may have much more skin in the game in what they do. So mm-hmm. essentially, I'm talking about, for example, ways for people to step up and say, I see the value in creating this new product. I want to create a team. I want to attract investment from the organization. I want to validate my assumption with the market. I want to have access to part of the profits I'm going to generate. Mm. I want to potentially become owner of something new that we incorporate from that as a separate commercial entity. I mean, we're talking about companies such as Pingan, for example, Mm. that uh, in 10 years moved from one business to 32 uh, businesses (laughs) doing very different things. Mm. It started as an insurance provider, now is active in telemedicine and mm. in many in finance, in many other spaces. And this is a good example of a company that took its technology, it took its culture, it took its uh, capabilities and systematized them in a way that they are conductive to create new business. Mm. And this is essentially what we are seeing in companies such as Higher Group or, or other pro- protagonists of, mm. of this uh, new, new economy. Mm. So these yeah. are the three points. Yeah, and I think for a lot of Existing organizations, they are in that model you described, that hierarchical, siloed, functional, sort of vertical way of thinking. So once the observation is made, that's quite an overwhelming thing to have to do, isn't it? Because not only do you have to change internally how you work and how you look at value and how you lead, but also externally, because the external market is also changing exceedingly quickly. And there were various things that stuck in my mind when I was reading your your piece on organizations beyond boundaries and the white paper. And there were lots of tools and uh, models in there. And the first one I really liked is the compass for envisaging organizational evolutions. Can you walk us through this? Because I think, you know, once you've made the observation, (laughs) what do you do? This is where I really liked the the compass. You mean the the one in the white paper, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. If I'm not wrong, you know, if I recall well, because it was November, Mm. uh, the, the compass presents three major spaces where uh, essentially we are seeing changes uh, and uh, uh, all of them essentially boil down to the need for organizational systems to to change uh, Mm. uh, as an answer. And on one side, we have the technological innovations. On the other side, we have the ecological ones, and then we have the cultural sphere Mm. that is changing. So uh, let me go through these three macro changes that are impacting our organization. Of course, the technology. And technology, I mean, things such as AI, 
crypto, 5G, and all these technologies that are making possible new patterns. So Mm. essentially, for example, if you think about the impacts of AI, how we do business, uh, the impacts are uh, you know are really huge. You know, you can mm. have impacts in terms of how they can emp- how AI can empower our employees or even the third parties that we as a company we leverage on. So, for example, mm. if you are a platform, if you are building a platform, a marketplace solution, then you can use AI to empower your producers or even to create supply when supply is not available. Mm. You can think of uh, using AI, for example, to produce uh, low uh, budget solutions for customers that otherwise wouldn't be able to purchase uh, services directly from another third party. So that's an, a good example. But in general, AI has large impacts uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, for example, facilitating exchanges, uh, predictive uh, services, and that kind of stuff. And of course, we need to use AI with uh, a grain of salt because uh, these uh, algorithms always have some biases and so on, but Mm. it's uh, something that we cannot uh, deny that AI has large impacts on both the single player by empowering uh, them and also the system, you know, by giving us insights Mm. on, on, you know, patterns and emerging data Mm. and anticipating disruptions and so on. Throw prevention, for example, and so on. Mm. Then, uh, of course, you know, crypto. Crypto has potentially huge impacts in terms of how we design infrastructures, how we design systems, how we embrace architectures that are really decentralized. So, so it's really enabling lots more new potential patterns in designing solution systems and so on. So that's technology, a technology mm. uh, trans- transition we are living. Then the ecological one. So, of course, we are now seeing that uh, uh, our companies, our businesses, our organizations, our institutions are embedded into a certain substrate, which is our yeah. uh, biosphere. And I think we are we are we are seeing that, that uh, uh, the uh, you know ecological systems are on one side are pushing us to take uh, decisions uh, in terms of regulations. For example, you can think of uh, the impacts that uh, the ecological breakdown is going to have in terms of policies. Uh, I'm talking about zero carbon policies. I'm talking Mm. about circular economy policies. You know, the changes are going to be simply enormous. Either we change intentionally, rapidly, and at a great extent, how we produce the stuff, how we run our businesses in terms of CO2 footprint or, mm. or resources footprint, either we do that or the impacts of not doing it are going to impact our business models because yeah. many organizations want to be able to do business just because their infrastructures will be disrupted, their supply chains will be disrupted. And so mm. and we are seeing that happening in real time. You know, mm. For example, yeah. you think about what happened with uh, energy infrastructures in the U.S. or yes. at the mm. moment what is happening with, uh, with supply chains. And uh, COVID, to some extent, for example, is another expression of an ecological breakdown you know, that is generated yes. by the mm. connectivity that we have uh, infused into society. Mm. And that's one thing. And the last thing, the cultural sphere. So what we are seeing happening at the cultural sphere is simply... I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, basically mm. what we are seeing, we are seeing a shift between traditional governance, yeah. institutional governance into uh, network-based governance. Mm. And uh, uh, as you can see now on the internet, we are moving away from uh, uh, 
the traditional categories of uh, the right and the left and the, and the progressives mm. and so on, we're moving into a rapid, uh, essentially rapid shifts in uh, consensus and dissent on every topic. And uh, there's a very powerful, uh, profound shift, for example, towards much more localism and mm. uh, approaches, localism-based approaches uh, as, a, as an expression of a regionalization of the, mm. of, the, of the world. So now we're moving away from uh, the, the, old, the good old US-driven culture yes. and, yeah. uh, and technological world into a multipolar world where you have a Chinese uh, internet and Chinese regional interest being pushed uh, outwards through uh, things such as the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm. You have uh, Russia uh, representing another big regional strength and point of view. Uh, you have India, you have Brazil, you have Europe, you have the US, you have you have Japan and so on. So uh, the, the world is really re-regionalizing. Uh, mm. Essentially, we are seeing uh, that, for example, it's much more difficult now to bring one service from the US to, to Europe and to China, for example, just because of the difference in policies and regulations. If your listeners are attentive, they will be noticing what's happening in China, for example, with regulation. Mm. So there is a deep uh, shift now in how the Chinese government is regulating this tech sector that has been enjoying quite a, a free ride for the last 20 years. Now it's mm. subject to very strong regulations in terms of data privacy, mm. in terms of impacts, uh, in terms of national interest and so on. And you have seen similar things. So, for example, in Italy now, there is a policy, and in Europe, there's a policy that national-related uh, um, things that are related to the national interest need to be in, uh, localized in Italy in terms of uh, actual uh, infrastructure. So mm. that kind of stuff is happening and something that companies cannot anymore uh, just uh, just uh, not care about. You know, it's, mm. it's really important to understand what is happening at the geopolitical level, what is happening at the opinion formation level, and the memetic nature mm. of, our, of our society so far. So that's these are the three spaces. And of course, to respond to these changes, you need to embrace different organizational models. Mm. You know, for example, very clearly, if you have a fragmented internet, if you have a markets that are made of much uh, more fragmented regional opportunities, sometimes also uh, city-based or, uh, you know, because policies can be... Imagine that you think you talk about Airbnb, for example, or yeah. the policies, the difference of policy that Airbnb, a company like Airbnb has been encountering in the last few years at the city level even, mm. it's huge. Twice and entails a much different approach to uh, autonomy and strategic autonomy of mm. all the units that your company is, uh, is running. So a product unit, uh, uh, you know, someone that is in charge of uh, launching your product in mm. a new nation, for example, how much autonomy they sh should they have? They, they should have massive autonomy because the context is becoming much more, much more important as mm. we go, as we move forward. So this is uh, just a way to, you know, uh, underline that uh, our organizational models cannot be anymore the ones that we use for the, for the 20th century. So it's, it needs mm. to shift. Clearly. And I think if I look at the two things of, you know, more regenerative models, whether it's economics or business, and then the move away from a sort of steady state that is more rigid and hierarchical. And I look at, there's a shift also in power, isn't there? Is, you know, what used to be the big players, you, you can now be small in inverted commas and have quite right. a lot of power, which brings me to um, the visualization of that and what you put in 
Chichero's triangle, which I think is really, really interesting, of course, but useful when you're a little bit overwhelmed by what's happening in your marketplace. And it helps you look at what could be possible roles in the new digital environment and the different sort of playable roles that that you could have to take into account strategically. Could you walk us through uh, Chichero's triangle and the three different levels and what that means in terms of opportunities for platform design business? Yes, it would be hard uh, for people uh, to follow this conversation if they didn't see the the image uh, yet, but uh, they can look it up very easily. And essentially, it's a triangle that represents a digital market. So you can think about uh, higher the higher part, uh, which is uh, uh, you know the, the vertex. Is it right? In, yes. In, in, yes. 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 The vertex, the the top vertex of the triangle, which represents long tails. And then there is a, a basis of the triangle, which is a bit broader. Uh, that is the infrastructure layer with these aggregators layers in the layer in the middle. And uh, essentially, these uh, represents the three roles that you can now play in digital markets. Uh, I would say more than digital markets, digitally transformed markets, which is mm. essentially every market. <laughs> so you can either be a player in the long tail. So, you know, as you said, there is a power shift, you know, and the small is becoming more powerful. The mm-hmm. edge is becoming more important. Uh, and this means that the, the essentially products and services nowadays are much more leaning into a long tail of mm-hmm. services and products. So uh, as a producer of value, uh, either think about I don't know, an artist, uh, a musician, I think about, I don't know, uh, an artisan, think about, uh, um, you know, a creator of original work or, you know, anything, you can be smaller just because mm. technology has made the means of production much more accessible, just because the unbundling of the Fordist bundle, let's say, uh, is progressing. And now as a small team, you can achieve mm. the impossible. You know, you can mm. really... You can create a small company uh, that can create uh, great products, can leverage on manufacturing facilities, in, you know, maybe uh, in China and uh, and produce anything, even tangible, not just mm. digital. The point here is really niche players are becoming uh, more powerful. Small players are becoming mm. more powerful. People are le- much less inclined to consume one-size-fits-all products yeah. and services. They're much more into, you know, finding the right player. And so... Uh, the, you can imagine that the top of this market, so the, the long tail of markets is, becoming, is, uh, is fragmenting. So mm-hmm. what do I mean with fragmenting? I mean that uh, if you decide to compete as a product producer, as a service producer, you will be facing a market that is becoming smaller and smaller for you. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. essentially the market is growing, but it's growing in a way that uh, there are more players. So yeah. essentially it's, it's more, you have a bigger market made of smaller markets smaller yeah. opportunities. And uh, this doesn't mean that it's not trivable because as a small player, you can you can thrive in a small market, essentially. Mm. You know? Maybe mm. what who cannot thrive is a big player, is a, is a big bureaucratic player that wants to compete in a fragmented market. And that's one point. So if you are a big bureaucratic player producing one product, then you're going to be challenged by new competition. That is much mm. more fragmented, much mm. more, much smaller. And that's a then, big shift, isn't it, Simone, for them? That's a big shift a for the mindset. Shift. Yeah. It's a huge shift. You will see, for example, that if you go to Salesforce uh, marketplace of consulting services, you will see brands such as Accenture or, mm. or, or Capgemini competing with uh, 20 people company 
that are much more much nearer to the customer can be much more effective into mm. producing contextual solutions and mm. so on. So, so in general, the big challenge is for these big behemoths to understand that they have new competition. Mm. Then, of course, there is a lower part of the market, a more, uh, I would say, a more enabling part of mm. the market that instead of fragmenting, is concentrating. Mm. And what do I mean with concentrating? I mean that it's becoming uh, the place where uh, you have increasingly, if you win, you win big. Okay, mm. and and you know essentially the basis is the infrastructural layer, which is familiar to everybody. Of course, infrastructures are scale dependent; they are more competitive as they become bigger because they essentially operate at uh, at the lower cost of business. So essentially, they need to be competitive in what they do. Mm. And normally, this kind of competition uh, competitiveness is achieved by through scale. So yeah. you can have logistics, you can mm. have uh, IT uh, cloud providers, that kind of stuff. No? So mm. they, they are normally big, uh, becoming bigger and bigger. And finally, there is the aggregator uh, layer, which is in the middle. Essentially, the aggregator is the one that integrates infrastructural elements mm. like logistics, IT, whatever, and creates these experiences for producers and consumers to interact directly. So you can mm-hmm. imagine the Airbnbs, Uh, Mm. the Ubers, the Amazons, the Shopify's, and so on. Mm. So these uh, these players that really connect producers and consumers in a way that uh, um, these niche services, these long tails, can really uh, interact with each other, can really exchange services with these uh, scalable efficiencies, scalable transactions, and scalable learning. So you can mm. learn faster if you work, uh, if you uh, are part of a, a platform, part of an aggregator. Mm. And uh, aggregators normally also are subject to, uh, I would say, this concentration dynamic, but for a very simple reason, which is the big uh, news, let's say, in this digital transform, the internet-enabled market, that mm. is the laws on network effect. Essentially, essentially, network effects drive value. The bigger the network, the bigger the value perceived for one part participant. And this makes aggregators very special from one specific point of view. They have essentially a direct control of the users. They Mm. can add more users with very low cost. And finally, they have a lower cost of acquisition. So mm-hmm. instead of the traditional services where you have a higher cost of customer acquisition as you move forward, because uh, once you have captured your early adopters, then moving, you know, the cross, mm. crossing the chasm, the chasm, mm. this is a classic, you know. And instead, if you think about uh, n- uh, network effects-based uh, businesses, they normally have much more attraction as they grow, because mm. the more they grow, the more the value perceived by the user. So mm-hmm. that's one clear uh, new characteristic that make aggregators uh, the new dominators of business, because those are the ones that essentially capture the big change in that the internet has infused on, on society, mm. that uh, essentially is the transition between an economy based on controlling suppliers yeah. to an economy based on controlling demand. So mm. that's essentially the big change. You know, suppliers mm. have been commoditized, they have been integrated into infrastructures, And now it's all about uh, reorganizing your company, your business model, nearer to the customer and not uh, uh, exerting control on suppliers. So that's Mm. uh, the big change that uh, aggregators have have achieved. And uh, I really suggest uh, for your listeners to catch up with aggregation theory from Ben Thompson, from which I capture most of these insights. So aggregators is the 
fastest moving layer of the triangle? Is is that a fair thing to say? I mean, I must say that probably niches are moving even faster because of uh, what's going on. But uh, definitely aggregators are in a very influx, uh, especially what is happening at the aggregator layer now is that uh, we are seeing a transition between uh, horizontal so-called aggregators, so very Mm -hmm. big aggregators and simple that only enable uh, you know, transactions, for example, or uh, only standardized transactions, essentially, mm. like an like Airbnb of the first age, let's say the first mm. uh, moments, into uh, much more vertical, a much more context-specific, industry-specific, market-specific. So, for example, you know, you used to have marketplaces for, I don't know, uh, food ordering. Now mm. you have a marketplace for, to order pizza, another yeah. one to order sushi. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a, you know, a mm. fairly simple example, but explains this idea of verticalization. Mm. Uh, uh, because th- this happens because essentially what happens is that as you create these aggregators, they enable bigger and bigger markets. And this means that niches of this market become as big, become big enough to essentially make the case for another aggregator that is more specific to take all their specific needs. Mm. So we we see essentially aggregators growing big and then fragmenting into more uh, verticals. Mm. And finally, another trend is uh, managed marketplaces. So essentially it's a trend that uh, is seeing marketplace operators not just uh, standardizing a transaction and maybe offering payment methods, Mm. but increasingly taking over more of the experience with the aim of uh, uh, producing this step function uh, in uh, experience for the users. So essentially you see, for example, now marketplaces doing investments, uh, doing capital uh, uh, insurance or actually acquiring inventory, coordinating suppliers. You can think of, for example, the difference between uh, Airbnb where people book uh, directly with each other and Uber, where actually it's Uber choosing your driver. It's not mm. you choosing your driver. And a similar pattern, essentially, the marketplaces are doing more and more. They choose your partner, they, sorry, they choose your provider, they sometimes invest in your provider. They sometimes uh, ensure that the insurance coverage is, is, is there. I mean, another example could be Open Door, this company from the US yes. that yeah. actually buys out the, the house uh, is before putting it back into the, to the market. And this is a radical difference, you know, between, for example, the old, uh, the decade old uh, Craigslist, you know, that was mm-hmm. just a way to, to place your ad and, and, and that's it. And I think it feels overwhelming as you talk about it, although it's very clear. And if I look at, you know, large organizations, particularly large, more industrial uh, organizations, that poses a problem for all of the three challenges you first mentioned. So capabilities, portfolio and what you call skin in the game or sort of organizational culture and design. Yeah. Um, What do you think is the biggest challenge for leaders, for the C-suite leaders that you deal with in these large organizations? I mean, in general, the leaders are now, I think, entailed with uh, two major shifts. One mm. is uh, embracing this cultural transformation and embracing this uh, de facto transformation of markets, uh, doing it uh, wholeheartedly and positively, first of all. Because one thing I want to stress, and then I will get to the second key point, is that uh, now we are really into an age where organizations need to make the case for their existence. Yeah. because. 
the market is unbundling organizations mm-hmm. and uh, uh, having a vertical structured organization is every day less useful. Mm-hmm. So the point here is, how do we make the case for people to work for our organization instead of doing enterprising on their own mm. or self-organizing into new forms of uh, market organization or maybe just becoming producers into an aggregate or mediated market? So mm. that's one point. And the other point is taking over this responsibility of, of uh, uh, architecting the change. So mm. as we move into complex organizations, leadership is being transformed. And essentially, if you think of uh, the leadership expectation from C-levels or in general executives in organization is increasingly that of uh, being able to design processes and systems and constraints uh, that essentially will generate emergent outcomes from Mm. the organization. So it's much less about micromanaging change Mm -hmm. or managing uh, as a whole. And uh, Uh, shifting into, okay, let's design the system and let's seed the system Mm. and see what happens from the system. So it entails a huge uh, change in terms of uh, letting go of control, in terms of embracing creative uh, entropy in your organization. Mm. So if you want to have, you know, uh, the question is big organizations want to be able to to remain as monolithic as they are, as Mm. disconnected from the context as they are, then we need to really embrace much more complexity, much more emergence, much more diversity, much more contextualization, much more freedom, much less, uh, I would say, control of the strategy, much more welcoming, much more what your employees uh, can come up uh, uh, with uh, in terms of new product ideas, new services ideas, new market opportunities, and so on. And uh, finally, I think... uh, and this is probably the, the most uh, long-term uh, and the most challenging change that we, I'm seeing. Mm. I think the question is also, uh, for, for big companies, a question of re-embedding. I'm mm. talking about re-embedding organizations into their uh, context, their communities, their landscapes. I mean, we, we were used to corporates being very much connected to a place. Yeah. A culture to a yeah. community and so on. And now we have these companies that are completely disconnected, uh, you know, with destructive supply chains, mm. uh, with uh, you know, a one size fits all products. Mm. And this this is not going uh, not going to pass. I mean, uh, mm. sorry, this is not going to move forward. This mm. needs to change. I mean, there is part of the economy that is going to be completely digitalized and and uh, very much about uh, these digitally mediated experiences of, I don't know, for example, you asking a celebrity to send you a video for birthday, birthday wishes, that is fine. I mean, I'm not saying this is not going to mm. exist in the future, but we have to completely reinvent the fundamentals of our economy, mm. food, agriculture, uh, welfare, education, energy, uh, transportation, all these things need to be transformed according to new paradigms. Mm. And uh, this is the work of organizations, or large mm. organizations, mm. of uh, organizations with a footprint. Corporates have an opportunity to embrace this change and become positive players. Uh, as my friend Christian Sarkar used to say, brands have to solve. Yes. Uh, mm. Or 
they will be supplanted by emerging institutions that for sure are going to emerge, like cooperative institutions, much more localized. The big question is for companies to, to say, how do we play a role in this transformation? Mm. What, are, what does it entail from the perspective of ownership of the organization, uh, from the perspective of uh, questioning the boundaries from what is inside and what is outside our organization, mm. questioning the responsibility that we take for landscape and communities. So this is a huge opportunity for, for companies. The question is, are we matching for that? No, we are not. But uh, if not our corporates, who is going to take all this opportunity? I mean, we, we will see for sure new institutions emerge, but I, I'm looking forward to see much more cooperation between existing uh, uh, market institutions and corporates and citizen-led organizations, for example, and new cooperatives and, and new players that will emerge from the context, from the localities, from the landscape, from the community to reinvent the way we we move forward and we produce the fundamentals of our economy. Mm. And, and that's an emerging space, isn't it? I mean, you frame the future between no more and not yet. I really like that framing, partly because I think, particularly today, it is always around balance, around those two polarities, whether it's individual collective or no more, not yet. And when I set up a leadership university in the last organisation we were with, we sat and we thought about the tagline and we came up with, for what's next? And that really resonated with me because For What's Next was about how do you create something different, a platform for human transformation in terms of leadership? And then do we know what's next? No, we don't. But the superpower is that we don't know. So what do we let emerge and how do we lead that uh, in a different way? And I think it's really interesting that, you know, you talked about letting go, which is the no more bit, and then the what's next, which is what you've just described. Mm -hmm. How do you see organizations managing that transition and where do you think we are on a curse if I put the curse in the middle between no more and not yet right where do you think we are I mean I think first of all the no more and not yet uh, framing that you are that you are referring to which is not mine it's from my good friend uh, Lisa Gensky mm. uh, that uh, uh, nudged us into embracing this perspective as we, we started the work on the research on the paper that we published in November. I think uh, it, it clearly points out one important thing that uh, people need to acknowledge if they really want to become uh, positive players in this context, which is embracing the nexus. Mm. So, uh, so essentially agreeing that we are living through a paradigm shift. And this is something that also Rita McGrath points out yes. in his new book, in their new book, sorry, and uh, on our podcast recently. So, so first of all, let's agree that we are going through a shift. Mm. Okay. So that, that's a very important posture uh, and, and there's a very important, uh, I would say, behavioral and, and uh, epistemic frame mm. that as leaders we need to embrace. So if mm. we embrace the idea that What's coming up is radically different from what we used to. This puts us into a good, for sure, enhances the possibility that we can, I would say, enact something positive for our organizations and for our society. Mm. Because otherwise, if we stay and defend the no more, you know, that's not going to happen. You know? and, and especially because another thing we want to also acknowledge is that uh, I would say that at the moment, we are overwhelmingly 
much more into the no more than we mm. are into the not into not yet. Mm. Because the fact that our systems are conducive to catastrophes is mm. clear. I mm. think uh, we are even open now to a future of continuous catastrophes, which is what we are living, you know, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And uh, so this really clears that clears out that uh, we are into the no more. So we really need to stop doing what we do and embrace new ways. And this doesn't mean only from an organizational perspective. I think one key thing is we as uh, players, we, we as entrepreneurs, we as designers, we as consultants, we really need to embrace the idea that uh, our past identities are not going, are not cutting through this. Mm. So we need to let go this identity we have, this uh, often narcissistic idea of ourselves that has been nurtured by the social media and mm. so on. So this idea that we can contribute all, only to this uh, specialized society where we are influencers or consultants or experts, mm. or whatever, we need to mess up with our communities, with our landscapes, with our bioregions. This is a very important thing. We need to really, I think, uh, embrace the fact that the not yet is about our relationships, is about our emotions, mm. is about reconnecting with ourselves, with our families, with our relationship systems. So this is a massive change that mm -hmm. I'm sure most of us is not ready to, to take. It, and it takes a huge effort to disconnect from this idea of ourselves and embrace the new identity. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I think definitely the not yet is unclear, as you said, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, part of uh, this transition is uh, about embracing uh, uh, epistemically this uh, uh, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But really, I want to stress one point here, to really start thinking about the future, we need to restructure uh, what is salient for us yes, as absolutely. persons and organizations. Uh, and this will entail, you know, talking about moving from profits to resilience, uh, moving from growth to sustainability, mm. uh, moving from uh, uh, an economy of uh, transactions into an economy based on emotions and relationships. So this is, I think, what, uh, what we are facing. Yeah, and I'm hearing a step back from ego and individual individualistic systems to powerful communities, which are, of course, built on emotion, relationships and understanding. OK, Simone, time is running. I have one more question for you. What would be your final call to action to our listeners or changemakers, entrepreneurs, leaders, entrepreneurs? What would be your final call to action for them to go and start looking at moving towards the not yet? Well, first thing, uh, of course, uh, is to try to understand these new rules, so engage with these uh, uh, new conversations that are happening. Do not, I would say, uh, categorize them as, you know, you know very innovative and, uh, mm. and, uh, and uh, you know, fuzzy and something that is not relevant. So, first of all, don't, uh, do not fall into the, what, we, what I call the uh, Naha solution, which is, means uh, not applicable here. You know, oh. no, don't think about, <laughs> okay. don't think about like this is not about you. It's about mm. you. It's about everybody. And mm. so, first of all, this is the first thing. Uh, secondly, I think, of course, you know, um, they can take our courses. <laughs> no, but just uh, joking. But the last point is uh, the, the last point. I think it really is about uh, embracing uh, a human uh, development uh, thesis. Mm -hmm. So trying to uh, let go this machine development yeah. thesis mm. and question the technology 
I think uh, this is something we really need to do. We really need to understand that uh, at the moment we have uh, uh, stalled, as my friend Indy Joa always says, our human development thesis has stalled. And mm. instead, we are uh, captured into this exponential machine development and technological yeah. development thesis. And uh, we tend to treat our, our people as bad robots, as Indy said. And uh, instead, we should uh, look into the human and, and see the, uh, the potential that every human has to really uh, have an impact and invent and transform. Uh, of course, this will entail, as I said, uh, experimenting with uh, new models. We need mm. to question assumptions. We need to uh, embrace uh, all these uh, dimensions that are, are now available, playing with ownership, playing with uh, you know uh, distribution of responsibilities, playing with creative entropy, autonomy, and so on. So this is really something important, and uh, and and really leaders need to need to embrace this perspective. I think. Okay, thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners with that more human-centered lens, and also the fact that it's applicable to everyone. Uh, Simone, thank you very much for coming and sharing your thoughts, your research, your insights. Where can people find out more about you, about Boundaryless and what you do? Of course, uh, a good starting point is our website, uh, platformdesigntoolkit.com. There is a new website coming up uh, soon uh, because uh, when everything started, it was just about the toolkit. And now we're doing work in many other spaces in organizational development, uh, mm. uh, strategy, consulting, and so on. So a new website is coming soon, but... Uh, uh, our current website, platformdesigntoolkit.com, is the place where you can find all our work, all our toolkits. You can download everything we do in open source. Uh, there's no, I would say, uh, wall pay, uh, as you call, uh, paywalls, no mm. paywalls. So you, you just go there and download, no registration required. We really embrace this open source ethos uh, as much as possible. So you can, you can find everything there. Our social media, you can find myself on... Uh, at uh, Mirabyte on Twitter. And this is where I normally share some of my ramblings. And uh, <laughs> of course, uh, our blog, uh, stories.planfondesigntoolkit.com is where you find, uh, I think, something like 200 blog posts that we have been publishing in the last uh, seven years, uh, covering lots of ground around platforms and ecosystems and new forms of organizing. So these are maybe the three places where I would uh, direct people, our website, our blog, and my uh, Twitter account. Excellent. Thank you. And I would invite our listeners to go and visualize and look at the models we've discussed. They're very good in framing the next step. Thank you. Yeah, maybe Sorry. maybe another maybe another thing I forgot. Really, you can check our podcast. Uh, since we are on a podcast, I guess yes. your podcast <laughs> listeners are uh, are interested in podcasting. We have a podcast called Boundless Conversations Podcast, uh, where I host conversations together with my usual co-host Sostina uh, Heikila, uh, where we have something like fifty episodes, and we're coming up again in October, most likely with a new series. So, uh, also talking to you over there. Excellent. So listen out for the October series. Thank you, Simone. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if so, head over to iTunes and give us your feedback. And it's bye from me for now. And see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. <laughs>